Good morning again. It's good to be back. Sally and I have had a good trip. I had several of you ask about our trip. Uh, we, some of you know that Sally's second mother or stepmother uh, went to be with the Lord uh, a couple of months ago, and the memorial service was delayed for several reasons. And uh, so we went and uh, had a, uh, saw a lot of people in Birmingham where I pastored and then also in Jackson, Mississippi where uh, Sally's uh, stepmother lived and amazingly didn't get COVID. We were around a lot of people um, in a lot of contexts where we could have. It was, it's, but it's good to be back. Um, somebody asked, was it warmer down there? And I said, no, it was hot down there. <laughs> uh, very hot. Got into the 90s Fahrenheit a day or two and in the 80s most other days. But anyway, we're glad to be back. So it's a great day in the life of uh, CVP. Um, we'll save a comments related to that for the congregational meeting. But I want to draw your attention to a doctrine, um, a teaching. By the way, I use the words doctrine and teaching interchangeably. A lot of people don't like the word doctrine. My response is you just need to get over that. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, in the Bible, the word doctrine is used as a substitute for teaching as a matter of fact, doctrine, you know, the doctrine that accords with eternal life, and it mentions ethical issues, how you live. Um, anyway, so anyway, it's the doctrine of adoption or being children of God. And um, it's an important doctrine because it's important to know who we are and whose we are. If I said, you know, I'm Sally's husband, that's whose I am, at least in one sense of the term and helps to define who I am as well. It's also important to know where we stand. Um, if you have a job where you have a boss, uh, you like to know where do I stand with the boss, right? It's where do you stand? And, and more importantly, it's important to know where do I stand with God? Am I in His favor or not? And if I am in good standing with God, how is my standing with God biblically to be described. Well, the Bible teaches that those who trust in Jesus savingly can be sure that they are rightly called children of God with all the rights and privileges and responsibilities that come with that designation, with that description of who we are. And it's an amazing teaching if we get to the depths of what it means to be a child of God. Now, this is a phrase, kind of like forgiveness, that we throw around with great frequency. But we often, I think, fail to really dig into, uh, let it soak into our souls. Um, you know, a lot of people that would use the phrase, um, I'm a child of God, if you really probe, they would say, well, God tolerates me. God tolerates me. But does God love me? Does God welcome me? Does God accept me? Does God adopt me? In his uh, classic uh, book, uh, now I think, Knowing God, J.I. Packer said uh, in a chapter, a wonderful chapter there, a chapter then in the early 1970s kind of got me thinking about this doctrine. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of, doctrine, of, of, of our adoption. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be any better than our grasp of adoption. Um, 
Everybody wants security. Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden, expelled from the garden. They lost their security. Where do you get security? If you can really say from your heart, my father holds me in his hand and nothing can take me out of my father's hand. Cancer can't take me out of my father's hand. Life and death, nothing in life, nothing in death, nothing in things present, nothing in things to come can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus my Lord. That is security. And we long for security. We long for security. Where does it come from, being a child of God? We long for significance. Adam and Eve lost their significance. Where, what is significance? It's having a, a father who can defeat all foes and say, my dad is God. Who's your dad? (laughs) It's that kind of a thing. Now, as important as this is, it's a neglected teaching. You're wondering, is he going to read the Bible? And the answer is yes. I've just got a long introduction today, okay? Just stay with me. As important a teaching as this is, it's, it's often neglected. Why? Well, in the Presbyterian Reformed tradition, going back to the Reformation, we have, I think rightly, made a big emphasis on the teaching about justification by faith. And, and I think that's right. It's an important uh, doctrine. It's a fundamental doctrine, justification by faith is. And, and it was right in that context for the Reformers to give so much attention to, the justification, to justification by faith. And we, we, we need to have real attention given to it today. And for another reason, I think we neglect this because Satan doesn't want us to think about it and he will distract us and deflect us from thinking about it. And so my goal today is not to lower our thoughts about justification, but raise our thoughts about adoption. You'll remember when Jesus went down into Egypt as a baby and after the death of Herod, he came back into the promised land. The quotation in Matthew is, Out of Egypt have I called my son. And that verse is a quotation from Exodus 4 where God called Israel his child, his son. And and it's um, um, an ancient teaching, an ancient teaching, Uh, sometimes misused and misunderstood. There are people today around, even in the PCA, that would say, God is my father, therefore God is always smiling at me. Well, no, I don't think so. I think God, as our Father, always loves us. But I think He's not always pleased with us. I think I would, I never doubted. I know I had a good family relationship, though I'm not at all convinced my parents were believers. But if you ask me, did I ever think my father didn't love me? And I could say, no, never one day. If you said, was your father always pleased with you? I'd say, no, <laughs> I can assure you my father was not always pleased with me, even though I believe that my father always loved me. And I think we make a confusion today about that. Now, a couple of other caveats, and I want to pray and read the text. Um, I use the phrase sons and sonship uh, to include both genders. That's the way the scripture does it. Um, sonship is broader than adoption and includes regeneration, but, but also, um, and I've told you I use doctrine and teaching interchangeably. So let's pray, and I will read a few verses uh, from 1 John. Father, uh, help us to understand you and your, your, your adoption of uh, your, your children, and, and 
how you write them into your will and give them your name and and give them all the promises uh, as they become heirs of eternal life. Um, And and I pray, Father, that for some, I know this will be a a new teaching. I pray that that you'll enable them uh, to begin today uh, meditating on uh, really what's the most precious doctrine about salvation and that that our understanding will grow and develop uh, in the future. Um, Lord, let the spirit that inspired these words illuminate them to our understanding and use a wretchedly sinful crooked stick to show the narrow way of the Lord Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 John chapter 2 at verse 28. And now little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. I'll stop there. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the words of our God will not fade. They will abide forever and forever. The Bible teaches three types or modes of of sonship in the Bible. Uh, There is sonship by birth, and that is uniquely descriptive of Jesus Christ. He was the only begotten of the Father. Uh, It says, um, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, His monogenes, only begotten Son. And there's only one in history that has been or will be the Son of God by birth, that's Jesus Christ. None of us can say that we are God's children in that way. The Bible also teaches in Acts 17 and other places what you might call sonship via creation, that we are created by God and therefore in some limited sense we are children of God because we are created by God. This is true of all people, Christians and non-Christians, indiscriminately. It's a teaching that should make all of us dependent on God and obedient toward God, but it does not, of course. Uh, This type of sonship, a sonship by uh, creation, uh, is limited in its benefits. Uh, Matthew says in chapter 5 that God causes the sun uh, and the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. It's that sort of thing. And so all of us... And everybody out there in Newburgh and beyond are children of God by creation. But also was Judas Iscariot and Pontius Pilate and Adolf Hitler and Joe Stalin and others. So there's not a lot of comfort, there's not a, not a lot of gain to be taken from being a child of God by creation. But there is, thirdly, a chi- being a child of God by redemption or adoptive sonship, God adopts us into his family, and and that is what I want to focus on today, looking at the nature of adoption, the privileges and 
blessings of adoption and the responsibilities of adoption. I'll be looking at the top of the iceberg, you know, uh, but I hope you'll get the picture of the whole thing uh, 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 in your lifetime. And then, of course, when we see him, we'll be made like him because we'll see him as he is. So I've already mentioned something about justification. I want to talk about the nature of adoption by by saying, first of all, that is, it is a doctrine or teaching that is distinct, distinct but not separatable, separable from the doctrine of justification. Think about it. Justification, the picture in justification is we go into God's law court and God acts as a judge. And in his court, because of our faith in Jesus Christ, because of the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and our sin imputed to Christ, he declares us not guilty. So so justification is based on law and views God as a judge. But adoption views God as a father and is based on love, not law. And it's the highest privilege believers. Suppose I've got two neighbors, uh, one on either side, and I don't get along with either one of them. Uh, You know, I throw my grass clippings in his yard and he throws his leaves in my yard and and, and that that kind of thing. And suppose one of them uh, says to me at some day, you know, we we need to get over this and we need to uh, just uh, let bygones be bygones and, and forgive one another and live in harmony as neighbors. Now, that's a great, great idea. In a sense, that's justification. Suppose the other neighbor, grass clippings, leaves, sticks, twigs, and all that kind of stuff, we've been at odds too, and, and he says to me one day, we need to get over this, we need to get past this, we need to forgive one another and get on with life, and, and I... I um, and, and I say, yeah, we do, and, and so we shake hands. And then he says to me, and by the way, I want to adopt you into my family too. You want to do what? You want to adopt me in, into your family? Yeah, I want to adopt you into my family. That's adoption. It's a higher, deeper, richer, warmer type of acceptance. Adoption is not only distinct from justification, it's distinct from regeneration. Regeneration, the new birth, when God causes us to be born again to a living hope, is something God does to us externally, I mean, excuse me, internally. When when we're regenerated, we're given a new heart. He takes out the heart of stone, puts in a heart of flesh. That's a great thing. We need that. We'll never believe in Jesus without that. But... And adoption is something external to us, right? Think about a a, a secular adoption. A a judge says, you know, makes a decree and and, and the orphan becomes a a child of the people that are adopting him or her. It's it's much more external. And and adoption brings a, a change of status, not a change of nature. Regeneration changes my nature. It changes who I am on the inside. But, but adoption it, it happens outside and, and it changes my status. Think of John chapter 1. Not First John, but John's gospel. Uh, chapter 1, um, chapter uh, at verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, God gave the right to become children of God. 
It's, it's something external. It's given. And, and, and in 1 John 3, verse 1, you're called children of God. Again, this is something external to us. It gives us a new status. And as I said, it's a much warmer teaching than the doctrine of justification, as important as it is. So how do I get adopted into God's family? I want to sign up for this, somebody says, right? Well, yeah. Well, it happens when you believe in Jesus. See, faith is the trigger. Faith is the instrument by which we lay hold of God in in justification. And also, our adoption is based on faith. Galatians 3, verse 26. In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And so if you trust Jesus, if you put your faith and your hope in Jesus, He has adopted you into His family. And you might say, but I don't feel that way. What am I going to tell you? Read the Bible. Listen to my sermon, okay? Get it. Believe it. This is true. It's unbelievable, but it's true. Ask for the spirit of adoption to permeate and penetrate your heart. I'm trying, the way you get your feelings in sync with reality is you read the Bible, okay? Think of Ephesians 1, verse 4. When you start looking for it, this is doctrine that's all over the Bible. In Ephesians 1, beginning at verse 4, In love He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. You see, this is an expression of God's grace. It's planned. It's predestined for God's people. It comes by way of the work of Jesus Christ. It's based upon love. And it's unto His praise. And so that's a little bit about the nature of adoption. It's this decree of God, external to us, that gives us a new status, children of God. Secondly, the privileges and blessings of adoption. So if this happens to me, what are the privileges and blessings that flow from it? Well, the obvious, several of these things are obvious, but the most obvious one, I think, is that we get a new father. We get a new father. And you say, well... Is that a big deal? Well, if you realize who your father used to be. Um, In John 8, verse 44, Jesus is dialoguing with people that we would call unsaved or lost. And he says about them, you are of your father, the devil. You say, well, that wasn't me, was it? Yeah, before you were a Christian, that that was you. Really? Yeah. In, in, In Ephesians 2, at verse 3... I can get to it right quickly. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And see, if to really appreciate this teaching, this doctrine, you've got to understand what to contrast it with. And those who are not Christian yet are of their father, the devil. But now God is our father. And in the NIV, I think it's the NIV translation that, that translate this First John chapter 3 when it says, uh, Behold, um, the kind of love the father has given to us. I think it says in the NIV, it says, Behold, the love the father has lavished upon us. Lavish love. Um, I remember when um, our first child was born in 1976, and um, 
and, and somewhere not too long after he was born, I remember holding the child. And, of course, the, my love for this child was off the charts, you know. And at some point, the Holy Spirit just put it in my mind and heart, you know, you, you're, God loves you and that child infinitely more than you do. God loves me more than I love this child? Mm-mm, I don't think so. Mm-hmm, I think so. Really? This is the lavishness of the love. When, when God is our Father, we, you, if you think you understand the depths of God's love for His children, you don't understand it yet. Um, if you had said to me at that point, I'm holding this child, would I die for this child? The answer yeah. He needs my liver, he needs my kidneys, he needs whatever. He can have them. He's my child. I'll do anything for this child. I'll die for this child. And of course, God and his son died for his children. It's a, it's a similar thing. God died for you, just like you would die for your child. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's the gospel. When, when Matthew, uh, Jesus, Matthew's record of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 6... And he's telling us, uh, don't be anxious for this or that or the other thing. He says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. In chapter 6, verse 8, Matthew 6, verse 32, your heavenly father knows that you need all this stuff, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. In Luke 11, it says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to to those who ask him? So we get a new father. A new father that loves us more than we love our wives, and more than we love our children, more than we love ourselves even. And that's a great love. Secondly, we get a new spirit, the spirit of adoption. Uh, formerly, we lived in slavery. Uh, that's what Galatians 4 says and Romans 8 uh, says. We lived in slavery and in fear. Uh, but, but there's the glorious freedom of the children of God after we're converted. We have the spirit of adoption, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God, and children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Galatians 4, And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And it's this spirit of adoption that gives us the security we crave and the significance we crave. It gives us a willingness to call God our Father and a desire to call God our Father. Indeed, a desire to call upon God in prayer and to be with God in fellowship. Now, friends, I'll tell you, and I... Well, let me think about this. It's been about 40, um, 49 years probably since I read that chapter in Packer's book. Uh, it'll take time for this to sink and soak into your soul. And, but I want it to 
And I think God wants it too, and I think the scriptures teach it. Why does it take so long for this to sink into our souls? Well, I think we look too much at ourselves and our failures rather than at Jesus and his successes on our behalf, don't we? We listen too much to the devil and not enough to God as he speaks to us in his Bible. Sinclair Ferguson said it this way, Our thinking about who we are as Christians should not begin with what we can discover about ourselves by self-analysis. Rather, it should begin with what God says about those who trust Christ. And what he says about those who trust Christ is that they are adopted into the family of God. So we get a new father, a new spirit, and a new name. See what kind of love the Father's given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. We don't, we, so we get a new name, child of God. Do we appreciate that enough? I think not. Well, let me ask it this way. Let me put it to, to you this way. Suppose um, uh, I said to you, who else in this room would you adopt into your family and give your name? Who would you adopt? Who would you give your name? I mean, we're pretty protective of our names, are we not? We think we have a good name. Who would we give it to? Imagine going to a ghetto tonight and adopting the most unlikely person you could find. Bringing them to your home, giving them your name, writing them into your will. Friend, when God adopted you, he did a lot more than that. Because the gap between you and that ghetto, unlikely ghetto character you found is finite. But the gap between you and God is infinite. And yet he crossed that gap to save you, to love you, to adopt you into his family and write you in his will. Who would you write into your will? I'm a pretty nice guy. At least I think so. Would you write me into your will? If you would, see me after the service. I'll give you the spelling. You can go to your lawyer tomorrow morning. Well, not tomorrow. It's a holiday, isn't it? Would you write me into your will? Well, why not? I'm a nice guy. Yeah, but no, you wouldn't do that, right? God has written you into his will. We'll come back to that in a minute. You say, this is mind-blowing. It is. (laughs) It really is. You can't fully get a grip on it. So you get a new father, a new spirit, a new name. Fourthly, a new household and family. You get brothers and sisters for fellowship and comfort and encouragement. Jesus is our stepbrother. I like to refer to Jesus as our stepbrother. He is not ashamed to call us brothers or friends. We are adopted children. He's an eternally begotten child. But he's a part of the household and the family. And we get a new inheritance. I just spoke about that. We're called heirs. Peter, I love this in 1 Peter chapter 1 at verse 4. He's called us to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and will never fade away. My hunch is if I said, can anybody in this room testify to an inheritance they thought they would get and they didn't get, a lot of hands would go up, right? Because a lot of people have been written into wills and, and, and what was promised in the will just kind of wasn't there when the will was read. All right? It just happens, right? It just happens. Um, 
But this is a will. If you get in this will, it'll all be there and more when the will is read on the last day. You don't have to worry that inflation's going to take it away. You're worried about that today, right? The $100 I had last, last year is now worth 92 or something like that because of inflation. Is, is inflation eating away at the inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and will never fade away? No, no, it's not, it's not fading away. A new inheritance, a permanent and pure inheritance, the one we should really focus on. So we get a new father, a new spirit, a new name, a new household and family, a new inheritance, and new access to God in prayer. Almost everyone feels that they have access to God in prayer, that they could pray whenever they wanted, and in a sense that's true. But children of God get access when nobody else can. Uh, there were a few times, not many, not frankly not enough the way I ran things, but there were a few times when I would tell my assistant when I was a senior pastor, no calls. I've got to focus on this thing before me. I, I just can't have any interruptions right now. But one of my children called, oh yeah, put them through. <laughs> put them through. I'll, I'll talk to my kid. I'll talk to my child. Friend, you have that kind of access. You'll never, you'll never find God saying, no interruptions. No, not him, not her, everybody else, but not them. No, always, permanently, freely, there's full access to God in prayer. And lastly, the responsibilities of adoption. My third main point, I want to just mention two things. Uh, the first one is we need to represent the father, the family, well. Uh, the third verse, and matter of fact, the whole context of 1 John 2, 28 through chapter 3, verse 10, is about holy living. Um, and, and it says in verse 3, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Um, um, different families have different characteristics and different standards. When your kids visit in other homes, they come home and say, Mama, Dad, do you realize what they did? Oh, the way they do things at their family, we don't do it that way. Um, well, God's family has certain characteristics that are described in the Bible, and we need to represent the family well. Um, uh, my parents used to tell me, if you're going to be a part of this family, uh, you've got to live a certain way. You've got to not do this and, and do that, and, and God says that too. Uh, we're supposed to be noticeably different. So my exhortation to you is to live like you're adopted into the family of God, to represent the family well. And my second exhortation is that you will love others in the family well. And I could read you lots of scriptures. We're supposed to love, uh, love our brothers. As a matter of fact, it says for, later on in, in 1 John 3, if you don't love your brother that you've seen, you can't love God whom you haven't seen. And, and here's the objection when I say to you, you've got to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're going to say, yeah, but some of them are, are weird and different and, and, and sinful people. And you know my response to that? Yes, they are. They're weird and they're different and they're sinful. And so are you. And God loves them. And you must also. That's the, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. So... How do you know if you're a child of God? Do you have faith in Jesus Christ? Are you led by God's Spirit? 
Do you love God? Do you love his presence? Do you want to be in his presence? Children love to be with their father. And, and my last conclusion is this. There are basically two motivations for living the Christian life, or at least the two basic ones I know of. I, I need to do X and not do Y because I have to. I've got to do that. I've got to not do this and I've got to do that. And the other motivation is I've got to not do X and do Y because I want to. I have to and I want to. So do you want to please your father? Do you want to make your father happy? I mean, the worst thing my dad ever told me one time was, son, sometimes you really disappoint me. And it cut me to the deeply, very deeply. It's true. I was disappointing him. But it hit very hard. Um, so it seems to me that if you're adopted in the family of God, you want to. You want to please your father. You want to live for him. Being a Christian does not merely mean that I'm not guilty before God. As great and foundational and fundamental as that is, it means I'm his child by adoption with all the rights and privileges and responsibilities of being his child. Friends, uh, think about it. Grow in it. Revel in it. It's the greatest thing that could ever happen to you. And if you're not a believer yet, I offer you membership in the family of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord our God, um, thank you for this teaching that I feel like I've gotten about two inches deep in today. And there's a lot more beneath that. I pray you would apply it to my heart, to our hearts, that we would live for you because we want to, because you're our Father. And not because, just because we have to. Not out of duty, but out of delight and desire to please you. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.